Chapter Twelve of the Problem Club. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by phone. The Problem Club by Barry Payne. The Pig Keeper's Problem. Well, gentlemen," said the chairman, Lord Herngill, "you have been required to purchase a copy of the current issue of the Pig Keeper's Friend." it is generally published on the seventh of every month but if the talented editor happens to be thinking about something else at the time as occasionally happens it may come out a few days later it is published according to the law but it cannot be said to court circulation it is exposed for sale in certain places but i doubt if any copy has been purchased by the general public for the last year at any rate not until the members of this club went on the hunt for it how did you get on major Biles? wish i'd never gone in for it snapped the major i told my regular newsagent to get me a copy he said he hadn't heard of it but would make inquiries at the end of a week he came to me with a story that as far as he had been able to learn the paper had discontinued publication a year before i knew that was a lie of course and told him so and said i'd finished with him there's only one other newsagent near me and i had to go to him his beastly boy leaves the wrong papers at the house every morning and seems to think i'm a socialist like himself the end of it will be that i shall have to eat my own words and go back to the other man destroys all discipline that kind of thing dr alden pusely smith and several others had hunted trade lists and directories in vain mr matthews had lavished money on advertisements offering a sovereign for a copy of the current issue of the pig-keeper's friend and had received no reply sir charles bunford had written to an old friend who held a high position at the british museum asking him to get a hold of some recent number of the pig-keeper's friend and let him have the address at which it was published after some delay the friend replied that he had seen a copy of the periodical and that it appeared to be the work of a lunatic and that the address given in it was the impersonation society boswell court fleet street it certainly looked to me said sir charles as if i had got hold of the right end of the stick i found the office which appeared to occupy the whole of the top floor of the building the name of the society was painted on the outer doors and underneath was the legend hours ten to four it was then eleven in the morning i knocked and rang and could get no answer at all and i could hear no sound of any activity within I came back at three in the afternoon with the same result. I then sent a letter saying that I required a copy of the current number of the paper and wished to know what amount I should forward for the purpose, and to make it quite certain I enclosed a stamped and addressed envelope. Well, I got a reply with an illegible signature. It said that no retail business was done at the office, but that I could apply for the copy through the usual channels. I still thought that I was on the right line, and gave the address to my newsagent and set him to work. The answer he got was that the current issue was out of print, all copies having been allocated. So there I stuck. He came rather near it, though, said the chairman. Suppose we shorten matters. Does any member claim to have won this competition? Our friend Jimmy has been looking rather pleased with himself all the evening. Have I? said Jimmy. Well, I don't mind admitting that I've jolly good reason to be pleased with myself just now, quite apart from the competition. I've won that too, as it happens, but I don't take much credit for it. Of course, you could say that it was due to the improved habits and all that, and I suppose that was so, more or less, 
but the fact remains that i wasn't even thinking about the thing at the time and if i hadn't forgotten my cigarette case it would never have happened so if you don't call it luck what are you to call it mr feldane said the chairman with great gravity you are beginning your story at the wrong end that is with the criticism of it i must ask you to tell us simply what happened from the very commencement and as coherently as possible certainly said jimmy indulgently any old way that you happen to fancy well to start with though as a matter of fact it had been going on for more than a week before they asked me to dine with them at the house on wimbledon common so naturally i jumped at it i won't say i had always been addicted to the scenery of wimbledon but there were certain private reasons private reasons for dining at wimbledon said heseltine reflectively i think i know our name don't i wish you wouldn't interrupt just at the moment when i'm being coherent i was going to dine at wimbledon and it takes some doing to get there my own little car was in hospital and the natural way seems to be to take a taxi and let it tick up the two pences until i wanted to go back then i reflected that i had decided to give up all silly extravagance and on inquiry i found that there was a place called waterloo station from which i could book to wimbledon so i did so i didn't smoke on my way out which must have been a kind of absent-mindedness it was on my way back that i found that i had forgotten my cigarette case now nothing makes you feel you must smoke so much as the knowledge that you can't i hopped out at Vauxhall and found a taxi right away i'd got all the luck in the world that night i told the driver where to go and to stop at a tobacconist's and do it soon the shop he stopped at in the back street of a side street didn't look up to much but i was desperate and ready to smoke anything that was called a turkish cigarette behind the counter i found a fat middle-aged man reading a book he gave me something that would do took my money and called me sir but he was no more a tobacconist than i am tobacconists may do a lot of funny things but they don't read the agamemnon of aeschylus in the original greek which is what this blighter was doing nor do they have manicured nails and an oxford intonation his attempt at a cockney accent was one of the most pathetic failures i've ever met however that's not the point the point is that on the counter was a small pile of copies of the current number of the pig-keeper's friend the number consisted of sixteen pages and they were very small pages and the price was one pound but i did not hesitate i bought my copy and i have it in my pocket now i'll hand it up to our chairman i've had a glance at it myself and i'm inclined to agree with that museum johnny it's got nothing to do with pigs it's mostly poetry and the rest is foolishness it beats me altogether the chairman examined the copy of the paper which had been handed to him there is no doubt about it he said this is a copy of the current issue and mr feldane assures us that he bought it no other claim is put forward the club's cheque for one hundred and ten pounds will therefore be drawn to the order of mr feldane has any member anything to add i have said mr matthews the whole thing wants clearing up and i hope our chairman will clear it is our problem-setter really a lunatic what is he doing with this weird paper of his what's the impersonation society who was the over-educated tobacconist we'd like the whole story and to this there was general assent i've no objection said lord herngill willie bunting has empowered me to tell you anything i like about him including the truth the fact is that in this problem the members of this club have come up against another organization the impersonation society which is one of bunting's curious inventions 
i first knew him as an undergraduate i thought a good deal of his ability both as a poet and as an amateur actor he was also no end of a lark he was not a lunatic but he had endless eccentricities he had no ambitions a contempt for public opinion and a determination to do just as he liked he was sent down for impersonating one of the proctors he was beautifully made up and looked exactly like that proctor but he had the misfortune to meet the original in trumpington street this disaster did not greatly trouble him he had more money than was good for him and was not intending to take up any profession he came to london and shortly afterwards he started the impersonation society his theory was that the ordinary holiday is a mistake and that what a tired man or woman wants is not only a change of place but a change of personality in order to get a complete rest you must for the time being be somebody else you must dress and live like the character you have assumed and you must even try to think like them i am by no means sure that there is not something to be said for the idea there must be plenty of people who think so for the membership of the society has increased every year and includes some of the very last people that you would expect to find in such an organization for instance the man that jimmy found in the tobacconist's shop in the vauxhall neighbourhood is in reality the headmaster and proprietor of a large and successful private school all through term time he is treated with intense respect little boys call him sir and tremble before him his assistant masters treat him with a deference which they are probably very far from feeling he lives in an atmosphere of sickening and insincere flattery and smoking is strictly prohibited so in his holiday he becomes a tobacconist's assistant smokes all day goes about in his shirt-sleeves treats customers with respect is respected by nobody himself professes no more virtues than he really has and thoroughly enjoys it he says that it keeps him sane the shop itself is of course the property of the society and the resident manager trains those members who wish to take a holiday there i should perhaps explain why sir charles bunford was unable to obtain entrance to the rooms of the society he misinterpreted the legend on the door the hours are ten to four but they are from ten at night to four in the morning i may add that it was once raided by the police to the intense disappointment of the police and to the great joy of the members particularly willie bunting but i must tell you something of the pig-keeper's friend willie's nearest relative is an irascible uncle who told him that he was wasting his life willie said that on the contrary he was enjoying it the uncle maintained that willie did nothing and willie replied that he wrote poetry then the indignant uncle did a foolish thing he said that he was prepared to bet a hundred pounds that willie never had a poem accepted by the editor of any existing periodical published in london willie jumped at that bet that moribund monthly the pig-keeper's friend was at that time in the market it had lost its circulation and had never had advertisements the wretched enthusiast who had brought it into being was heartily sick of it willie offered a fiver for it which was more than it was worth and instantly became the proprietor he then appointed himself editor and in his editorial capacity accepted one of his own poems and printed it in the next issue a prefatory note said that the editor had no doubt that the wary pig-keeper would be glad to beguile his hours of leisure with the following poem by his esteemed contributor william bunting willie sent a copy of it to his uncle received his hundred and was cut out of the uncle's last will and testament having acquired the magazine willie proceeded to make it the organ of the impersonation society 
he still printed his own poems in it and occasionally mine but it was principally devoted to the cryptic record of the many strange activities of the impersonation society the original title was retained and occasional references to pigs and pig-keeping will be found in it for instance in the current number there are a number of spoof inquiries from agonized pig-keepers seeking the expert advice of the editor in their difficulties one of them asks how in the event of his pigs swarming he is to know which of them is the queen the editor's replies are humorous and in some cases i regret to say rabelaisian the present issue of the paper was on sale at the tobacconists it has also been offered in the public streets by a supposed newsvendor every day for the last month the only copy purchased was bought by jimmy who found it by accident as the paper is sold only by members mr matthews will understand why his advertisements fail to get any result and now that i've answered your questions i'd like to put one to our prize winner go ahead said jimmy how many times have you dined at wimbledon in the last week four times as it happens you see the views there over the common are really you needn't continue you've said enough i'm sure that i may offer you the hearty congratulations of the club on your engagement well i'm blessed said jimmy i am engaged i'm pleased and proud to say but how on earth did you know in many ways and i'll tell you one only one thing on earth could have made you forget your cigarette case and naturally the next thing to do was to drink to the health of jimmy and his future bride and it was done with great enthusiasm and here the chronicles of the problem club has come to an end the story of how willie bunting became a member of the club and subsequently retired from it and how the solution of one problem brought the reverend septimus cunliffe into the police court and how the solution of another made mr matthews miss his dinner and how a negro failed to get into the club and how a girl of seventeen was actually elected these things with many others must remain hidden in the club archives end of chapter twelve end of the problem club by barry payne